Welcome back to another episode of the DigiTalks podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and today I'm joined by Dave Sims. Now, if you're not sure who Dave is, he's the head of fundraising and marketing at Samri. With a long career, this is going to be fun. As he, as he giggles. <laughs> a long career. That's an, an amazing that's a nice career. I'm old. No, an amazing career. He's not old. For 15 years, Dave was at the helm of Leukemia Foundation's iconic national fundraising events as the head of fundraising. With a degree in marketing and comm studies, he has provided leadership and creativity to all of the foundation's fundraising programs. He's run the following campaigns nationally, including the World's Greatest Shave, Light the Night, UGLY Bartender of the Year, plus cash appeals and regular giving programs. Dave has focused on using technology and particularly embracing the growing use of mobiles to chase an annual budget of over $20 million raising a total of $236 million in his time with the Leukemia Foundation. Mm. That is wild. Yes. He emigrated to <laughs> <Good> Adelaide. <pleasure. laughs> yeah, I know, right? He emigrated to Adelaide in 1995 after a career with the BBC and commercial radio in the UK. That's why his voice is so nice. Where he was a producer and on-air presenter of Breakfast and Mid-Morning Radio. This is going to be the best podcast yet. Dave's also worked for the Animal Welfare League, Novita and the Asthma Foundation in SA as part of 25 years working in the not-for-profit sector. Tell me, how did you get your first role in philanthropy? Because going from radio to this is... <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? I mean, people don't enter fundraising as a career. You kind of slip into it. Yeah. And people I've met in the industry slip into it from the most bizarre directions. Mine was, I was working in, in radio and in the UK, perhaps a bit more than here, but in the UK, there's always this thing that you have to do some sort of charity you tend to do a charity day or a bit of an appeal, perhaps okay. a Christmas thing or stuff. <laughs> There's a really like big option. one in the UK <laughs> called Children in Need, which the BBC run. It's massive. It's on all the TV stations, all the radio stations. Everyone gets involved with it for a whole day and it raises millions. So everyone has to be involved in these charity things. So I got involved in coordinating those. So I got a bit of a taste for doing the charity side of things mm -hmm. and, um, and kind of fell into it that way, really. And, and then a friend of mine went and started a charity and he said, do you want to leave radio? Because they, they were changing the radio quite a lot in the UK at the time. They were doing lots of talk back about dog poo on the pavements and stuff like that. Oh, and yeah, I just thought, like I, don't, I, don't I don't know whether I want to do all this for, <laughs> for a great deal longer. So um, I thought, well, that sounds kind of fun. So I went and did that and then and then came out to Australia. And then I thought, well, let's do some charity work here. So my first job here was at Crippled Children's Association. Great name, Novita as it's called now, yes. thank heavens. And that's how I got into charity in Australia. Wow. What was the difference between how we approach things here versus in the, in the UK? Were we a little bit behind the eight ball? I think there's a lot more, how to describe it? I think there's, there's not the same tradition of, uh, of the background of philanthropy. It does vary from country to country. So for example, in the United States, it's an expectation. You know, the, in America, people are worshipped for having money. Yes. But there's also an expectation that if you've got money, you've got to be seen to be doing some good things with it. Yes, okay. But they always want to be seen. So you go to something like the Metropolitan Opera or, or, or a hospital, there's these names on the wall everywhere yep. because they're all these wealthy people who give money and they and want to be seen. And a ward in the hospital. <laughs> but they, yeah, but they want it named after them. They yeah. want their name up in lies. So there's that philanthropy. I think in Melbourne and Victoria, there's been a huge tradition over many years of people giving money. Lots of, lots of wealthy families who give money through their family trusts and so on. So there's a real atmosphere of that. Mm. In the UK, there's very much a sort of, uh, I think there's a sort of tradition of helping the battler and helping people who are less off than yourselves. Whereas I think in Australia, a lot of the time, it's older people who give. And also 
a broader group of people will give when there's some sort of national crisis. Yes. So there's a bushfire or there's a floods or, you know, or something happening in another country. Everyone will step in and do their bit there and then. Yeah. But I think there's a, a lot of people in this country who, until recently, were doing that $2 in the tin on a Friday morning in Rundle Mall and that's my charity bit. Yeah. So it, it, it does vary. But I think that the theory is the same. Fundraising is just sales, but you're selling a warm feeling. I love that you describe it like that because it is. That's all you've got to sell. A warm feeling that I've done a nice thing. And you have to, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Like if someone gives you money, you've got to give them something back. So you've got to tell them what you've done with the money, why they've done a good thing, make them feel good about it. Because you're not selling widgets. No. Do you feel like the need to justify where the money's going has become a lot more prevalent in probably the last 10 years? Oh, it's been terrible for a long time. Yeah, this, okay. Uh, and it's driven, a lot of it is driven by the media and it drives me nuts. The, uh, people have got this thing in their heads about admin costs. Yeah. Um, and there's some. There's a guy called Dan Palotta who's a great fundraiser from the United States and I absolutely worship that guy because he says you should be supporting a successful charity that's doing good work and not a charity that's just doing it on the cheap. Yeah. Why would you support someone who's doing it really badly and just because they don't spend a lot. No admin costs. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if someone's doing a really good thing really, really well, that's who you should be supporting. It's uh, scale, and yet the right? media often just get, oh, how much How much of my dollar is going to the cause? Oh, it drives me mad. Andy Sabatino <laughs> back in, um, I think it was season two, he made a really interesting comment around charity A takes... 50 cents from the dollar and charity B took 30 cents, but they were putting the other money back into marketing to get more. So in long term, I think that's how he did it. Don't quote me on this. You actually get more out of it. But to the to the consumer, you go, well, I'm going to go the charity that puts more of my money back into. Like, it's, it's, it's challenging. It varies from strategy to strategy as well. Mm. Like you can't just use a blanket figure. No. Right? Because depending on what type of fundraising you're doing, the costs will be different. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody leaves you money in their will, right, costs absolutely nothing. Yeah. You know, a couple of phone calls, bit of paperwork, jobs are good and not a problem. If you're trying to create a brand new event, which is going to, you know, maybe walk the streets of Adelaide and you've got to have safety and people helping you cross the road and public liability insurance and yada, 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 yada. And certainly if you're starting a brand new thing and you've got to advertise it like crazy to get people to know about it, then then of course it's going to cost more money to start with. Yes. When you're acquiring your new people and to Mm. get the thing going. But after five or ten years, it will be a lot more cost effective. And there's legislation and rules about some of it too. If you're doing lotteries, for example, in South Australia, there's rules that you cannot make more than 50%. Profit. I'm on the board of Telethon, right? actually. Yeah. Um, Telethon, unfortunately, it is our last year. But, you know, they've been around for 60 years. Yeah. And the costs we have to do to get audited every year, yeah. to do Just all of those things, yeah. it's it costs money. And we're not all volunteers. No. We, do, we do need new shoes occasionally, you know. <laughs> we're not all going to do it for nothing. Um, but but there is that thing that the, that the costs will vary depending on the, the life of the, of the campaign. Yeah. And also the style of it too. Yeah. And, and certainly one of the big challenges we've had in the last few years is you used to always send people a letter, a really nice letter with some extra stuff in the envelope and a nice pretty envelope and stuff and you'd mail it all out. Well, these days that costs an absolute fortune. Doesn't it just? The mail is just so expensive. And yet you use email to save money 
But what does everybody do with emails? We're so bombarded with emails, then your open rates and click-through rates are just shocking. It's not as effective. I know. And then, you know, we then went and tried advertising on social media. Well, everyone's sick of adverts on Facebook. It's all adverts. You don't see anything from your friends anymore. Yeah. All you do is see adverts. So it's starting to get really tough to get out there, let alone in a cost-effective way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like that's the biggest shift you've seen since, you know, you started to now? There's just it's so huge. There's, yeah. been, there's been pros and cons. Like when I first started World's Greatest Shave, look, I'm very proud of World's Greatest Shave. I didn't create it. It was created by a group of people in northern New South Wales, a friend of theirs was losing her hair because she was having chemo. And all of her friends said, well, we'll share our head. We'll shave our heads too. And the people at the Leukemia Foundation in Queensland said, well, I reckon we might have a bit of an idea here. They did it and, it and it just took off. But they went to the board of the charity and said, if we advertise this on the TV, this will, this will work. But we need to invest money on, on doing this. Do it properly. If we just try and do it small fry, it'll never take off. But if we own this and go for it, it will work. And fair play to the board. They said, okay, you can have a quarter of a million dollars to put it on television, which back in those days was a reasonable That was, that was a good budget. And they went to the TV and said, look, we don't want to come cap in hand. We're coming as a paid client, but we want some extra, you know, we're a charity. So, Fair enough. So, so it, it absolutely took off. But the, the difference between when I started looking after that campaign and then when I finished was that when it first started, we put the adverts on the telly. The whole team around the country would have a registration forms and a pen by the phone. And you'd know when the advert had been on the telly because the phones, phones would, would just go hot. crazy, right? And the, and the fax machine. I don't know if you know what a fax machine oh, is. I don't know what a fax is, but the I don't know about fax, our listeners. The fax machine would go crazy and the phones would go crazy and we'd all be writing stuff down and then we'd have a whole army of volunteers who were putting a pack together, taking it to the letterbox and posting them off to everybody. It's right? a real-life telephone. And that was absolutely <laughs> how we did it all in those days. In the time I was in charge, my, my job, as you mentioned at the start, was to keep pace with how things were changing so that we then had, you know, as we're all used to now, you'd actually go to the website and fill in the form yourself and just sign yourself up. And you'd have a fundraising page to share with your friends and all that. So you, you didn't necessarily need a kit and a book and a sponsorship form and yeah. a book of receipts and all that anymore. So that's all changed. We used to advertise on the TV. We used to spend a million bucks advertising on the telly, right? But we'd get a sponsorship from a TV station. So they would give us like seven times that volume. Yeah. And so that was great. Fantastic. But what happened towards the end of when I was there more people saw the TV commercials on YouTube pre-roll ads yeah. than saw it on free-to-air telly. Yeah. So this is how it's all changing. No one's watching it on free-to-air. It's all on YouTube. That's actually bigger than Facebook now. Oh, I, I would agree. I would agree. I think YouTube from like a TVC replacement, yeah. I think, yeah, because everyone's streaming everything now. Everything's on demand. Um, you know, even even radio, your, the ads are curated to you based on what you listen to if you're doing a smart speaker. So. Yeah, and it's so and it's so different. Like any any advertising you're wanting to do, even for charity advertising, if you're going on these um, on-demand services with the main TV stations, you've got a far better chance of getting to the right audience that you want by going on those um, on-demand services than you are sticking it on during the live show. A hundred percent, because you can target it. Yeah. Do you feel like? Though, particularly with campaigns like the World's Greatest Shave, you just want to go broad. You don't want to be, you just want to get it in front of as many people as possible. Yeah. Well, that was what was great about it, was that that really was a charity event where anybody and everybody could 
could do it. There's and, no profile. And would do it. No, it was the broadest thing going. And I'm a big believer in those, you know, those peer-to-peer events, as they're called. So you get someone to do it and they ask their peers and their friends yeah. to sponsor them. So that's peer-to-peer fundraising. The beauty of that is that it was something that anybody and everybody could do. I mean, I still would remember we do some events in public. I still remember being on stage at Rundle Mall where we had a, la- a young lad with masses of curly hair, all of his footy mates there, all cheering him on, on, all sort of egging him on because they dared him to do it and they'd all sponsored him. And it was like, come on, mate, come on. And it was all that. Next to me was a little 80-year-old lady with white curly perm with all of the family there. And as we started shaving her head, she looked up and said, this is for you, darling. So the different motivations of yeah. doing it for someone who'd you'd, who'd lost to cancer versus someone doing it for a, for a giggle versus that those two demographics such a demonstration of that breadth of how an event like that can really work. And you're still getting an amazing outcome, right? At the end of the day, yeah. you're still getting funds, much needed funds. Yeah, and and what was good about the Leukemia Foundation and still is, of course, is that they do a mixture of long term research for the future but also doing practical help here and now. So Mm. it was, again, you could tailor what you said the money was for based on what motivated people. So a lot of what they were doing was bringing people from country towns down to Adelaide for their treatment. Yeah. Anybody who lives in a country town gets that issue. You know, you live in Port Lincoln, you've got to have treatment three times a week in Adelaide. What the hell do you do? So they bring you down to Adelaide, give you somewhere to stay. It's good practical help that people understand. Yeah. Whereas selling research can be a bit trickier because that's a bit of a, you're selling hope. You're selling a dream. Yeah. It's like, it's. I always think it's like selling a lottery ticket. Yeah, I agree. You're selling the dream. I agree. These roles are obviously quite different to what you're doing now at the Samory Centre. So talk me through what your role looks like at the moment. It's a bit the same, really. <laughs> yeah? Um, it's, I mean, that's the reason why people like me, you can move from cause to cause mm. as long as you believe in what you're raising money for. You've got to be able to look someone in the eye and actually believe that what the charity is doing is a good thing. I think a lot of people don't actually understand what the Samri said to do, to be totally honest. Well, that is my biggest challenge with with Samri at the moment. So they've... Samri, in charity terms, has only been going for nine... This will be their 10th birthday this year. That's exciting. Can we have a party? Yeah, (laughs) we are. We're going to have a bit of a party for our 10th birthday. But in charity terms, that's a real baby. Yeah. Like we're not even we're not Infancy. even walking. We're still crawling. So and they and I think the the idea of taking philanthropy from the community seriously has only recently been thought of. So I got brought on only a year or so ago to start really looking at how the community could support Samri. But what I wanted to do right from the beginning was find out what people did know or not know or care about or what they felt about Samri. So I did some market research to find out. How's that going? I thought I'm surrounded by researchers. The one thing they're going to listen to is some data. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and of course, a lot of people just don't know what it is. What we found is everyone knows it's the cheese grater building. We do great things. We do. Everyone <laughs> knows it's the cheese grater. They all know it's next to the hospital. But people were very confused about what it is. The people, uh, I think the name is not the greatest, <laughs> but it is the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute. What people don't realise is that it is a independent, not-for-profit. So it's not a massive government-funded government department. No, and that is the perception. Yes, absolutely. So that's my big job. So I've got two jobs. I'm called head of fundraising and marketing, but it really should be the other way around because I've got to do some marketing first. Yeah, I Then agree. when people know and understand, then, then I can, can ask, ask them, them to help. Money. <laughs> so at the moment, I think there's too many people in the don't know, don't care basket because if you don't know, you can't care. 
So I've got to get them to know what we do, care about what we do, then I can say, how would you like to help? And my strategy is I want to come up with a way that people can help whatever their means are, whether it's, you know, sponsoring your friend to walk a sponsored walk for us for 20 or 50 bucks, right up to some of the wealthy people in town who could probably give us, you know, hundreds of thousands and put their name on something and everyone in between. So that's, that's what I want to, that's what I want to do. Well, the amazing thing as well is there are so many different areas of research in the centre. And I think, you know, that if you've got a group of 10 people, I'm sure it would appeal to probably eight out of 10 minimum. So like, you know, even the fact that you can sponsor the little triangles on the windows and things like that. Like, a lot of people don't know about that. No. Well, it's all very new. Yeah. So I've still got some marketing to do. And as we said, I've got to be careful about how much money I spend in promoting it. But that's, that's one of the strategies is to say, well, look, if you'd like to sponsor one of the windows on our... It's a virtual window on a website, not a real window. But if you'd like to sponsor that and put your name to that and give us a message of, of, of hope, then we will then keep telling you about the research that you're supporting, the progress that they're making. Yeah. We'll get you in the building. We'll say thank you. You'll feel involved and you'll feel a part of it. So that's one of the one of the ways to give and one of the ways to support. I suppose the thing with Samri is there's so many researchers in there. Like there's hundreds, away. hundreds of researchers in there. And that is my biggest asset. It's also my biggest problem. Like, how do you talk about all of it? Yeah, it's a lot. It's huge. And then if you only talk about one bit, then everyone else sort of says, well, when do I get to go? Yeah. So you've got to share the love as well. Totally. So there's lots of stories to tell and we'll continue telling them. But the basic fundraising premise is is the same. It's the same. Really, we're just trying to say, this is a good thing. This is why we need your help. This is why it's urgent. And if you don't give us the money, then, you know, we might not find the cure for whatever. Yeah. How do you feel the best way to engage the younger generation in fundraising? Young people, I think, want to feel a direct connection and have some sort of experience with it. Mm. You want to get regular feedback and, and, and a real sense that that you're not just putting money into this bottomless bucket and the money just disappears. You want to hear stories. You want to see real people telling you, you know. You want to see other people like yourself saying, hey, I'm a young up-and-coming researcher. Your dollars have really helped me get my project to the next level. So, you know, thank you. And here's what I'm doing. They, They want to see it. They want to feel it. They want regular feedback. And I think that is a great way that you can communicate with with younger people with, you know, stuff on social media, you know, it's little, say, yeah. little tiny little snippets just to keep you constantly feeling like your money is actually doing some good and it hasn't just fallen, fallen away. I think what I love about your approach and, you know, obviously your career as well is the fact that you have been so, so keen to listen to feedback and to listen to the ways that you can actually engage best with each demographic. I think it's really easy as a marketer to kind of just go, well, this is the way that we've done it. We're just going to keep doing it. If you're not prepared to actually work out how can we best communicate with different people in different ways, you're going to be stuck. Oh, you've, You've got to you've got to change with the times. I mean, fundraising really in the last few years has run the serious risk of just dying. And mm. anybody anybody who has not changed how they do stuff and just say, "Well, we do it how we've always done it. Yeah. We always do it this way," they're just gonna they're just gonna fall off the radar. You've just got to keep up and be doing things differently. There's all sorts of different ways to do it, and it's also immensely immensely competitive. Yeah, I mean, I think something like sixty thousand charities in Australia. That's wild. It's just crazy. But there's also hundreds and hundreds of ways that that people do fundraising. Everything from, you know, doing a sausage sizzle at Bunnings right through to, you know, massive 
you know, grants from trusts and foundations, you know, yeah. and everything in between. So there's loads of ways to raise money. I mean, crowdfunding is another one that's that's all brand new, you know. But again, it's one of those things that you've got to research it, you've got to think about it, and you've got to plan your campaign, you've got to do it properly. Mm-hmm. You can't just spend an hour and bung up a crowdfunding page and think it'll just work because it won't. So loads of people are going at things half-baked and mm. then they don't always they don't always take off. You've got to you've got to research it and take it seriously. You made a really interesting comment before um offline actually about, you know, being able to pivot quickly, you know, people being able to walk away from their money is a, is a big thing, right? Mm. It could be something as little as $10, but as you said before, you know, if interest rates go up the ne- next day, how does that affect the whole campaign? Well, this is the problem. You're not selling widgets, like I said before. You're selling this warm glow, and it is 100% at your discretion to make a donation. Yeah. 100%. If you're buying a lottery ticket, then obviously it's your decision because you might win a prize. So that's you're still a bit you know, what's in it for me. But mostly it's completely discretionary. So other things will come along which might take your money elsewhere and then you just go, well, I'm just not going to give to that appeal or respond to that or I might give less because, you know, in recent times, like you say, interest rates, the price of petrol, you know, everyone's worried about rent and all this sort of stuff. Everyone's asking for wage rises and all that stuff, aren't they? So charity struggles. So your problem with budgeting, say, is that you, you use your science and your experience to come up with your best guess of what should happen. Yeah. But you can do exactly the same as you've always wanted to do. You do your campaign, you spend all the money, and then really you hope that it works. (laughs) But if it doesn't work, it's actually no fault of your own. But I think one of the stresses in this industry is communicating that up to management and to boards because they will they will blame you. Yes. You know? It's always marketing's fault. Yeah, always. And everyone's a marketing expert. Everyone tells you what you should be doing. But I mean, I still remember one year when we did World's Greatest Shave and it raised it raised 16 million, which was a record. And then I did all my number crunching and all of the stuff that I'd done for the few years leading up to it and looking at, at what was happening. And I said to the guys, look, I reckon next year we could make 18. And they said, no, 20. And I said, well, how? And they said, no, it'll just come in, 20 million. So my budget was 20 million. It'll just happen. Yeah, it'll just happen. <laughs> no strategy, no extra spend, yeah. nothing. It'll just be 20. And I said, well, no, it'll be 18. They said, no, 20. We did okay. the whole thing. We did everything we could. We, you know, we bust our guts to do it. And we raised 18, just like I predicted. But then the problem is, it's all our fault for not raising 20. Yeah. Right? The fundraising team have failed because they didn't hit 20 million. With no extra with no extra money. No Even though ex- I said we'll only raise 18. So how did you communicate that? How did you handle that situation? Well, you know, we, well, you just have to suck it up and carry on next time. All I managed to do was to get them to be more realistic about the budget the following year. The biggest problem you get with charities is where they put a target in for the income and then they, they plan to spend it before you even raised it. Yeah. <laughs> That's really scary. You say, well, what if we don't raise it? Oh, you will, you will. You just, you just will. No pressure, but <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. to because we've already spent it. That's right. That's that's full on. It's it's not good business, <laughs> and it and it's tricky because if if things are not going as well, there is a limit to what you can do. Like we're not selling widgets. You can't suddenly have a sale. Yeah. You can't only say fifty percent off to sell more. You just can't do that. No, you've got you've got no kind of backup yeah. plan, right? So, yeah, it is it is a slightly scary thing to sell. Do you think <laughs> a warm feeling? Yeah, a feeling, and, and it's so subjective, right? Yeah. 
what makes me feel good might not make you feel good. And and the other thing that we used to have, say, with World's Greatest Shave is, is again, you've got to be mindful about, it is very personal how you feel about it. We had like eight-year-old kids who were raising money at school for their best mate who'd got cancer. And they'd be thrilled if they raised $300. For an eight-year-old kid, that's huge. That's massive. You know? But then you've got some other guy who's working at some great accountant company in Melbourne. Well, you'd want him to be raising ten grand because that's a different world. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to be careful about how you thank and acknowledge that because you can't make the eight-year-old kid feel that he's failed just because he didn't raise 10 grand. Correct. So, uh, that meant a lot to him and his community. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting little marketing challenge, that one, the thanking. How do you approach that? Because I think, like you said, the personalised experience, it's a massive thing in any industry. Well, that is the big thing that's changed in the last 10 years, hasn't it? Everything's mm. got to be personal and relevant to you. You can't just get some blanket, blanket. blanket thank you. It's got to be tailored. It's, you've got to have as much data and information about the people as you can. Yeah. And then you have to use that. There's no point collecting that information and not using it. But how many people don't use the data? Yeah. This is the crazy and thing. And also, you've got to ask... Ask for only the stuff that you know you're going to use. Yeah. Like, but, yeah. So don't ask them what their favourite colour is if you have no intention of ever exact, actually using that. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing I think that's got more interesting in recent years is that people always used to do marketing based on age demographics, right? You talk to a, you know, 16 to 25-year-old differently to how you talk to an over 60-year-old. That's what they teach you in uni. But you know what? These days... If you've got a 15-year-old lad and a 60-year-old bloke who both love playing golf, they've actually got more in common with each other than they might have with other 60-year-olds or 16-year-olds. Couldn't agree with you more. So I think asking questions to help you personalise the experience can be really powerful if you ask it the right way, yep. if you tell people why you're finding that out, yep. and you then use that to then tailor both the ask and the thank you. I love that. I think that is a really interesting way to look at it because... In digital, with the limitations around interest-based targeting because of Facebook and privacy. Oh, hasn't that changed? Everyone now is primarily doing age-based or or geographic. But exactly like you just said, the issues with age-based is just because they're an age doesn't mean you're, they're interested in your product or service, and you can't actually tailor the message. I think you're wasting money, unfortunately. The other thing that's really tricky at the moment is working out where in social media to be. Yeah. Because Facebook's only getting you sort of, you know, women over 50, frankly. Mm. Is that right? Oh, look, A lot of blokes too, I suppose, but that's yeah, older, isn't it? it Facebook's is, older. It's definitely older, you know? but you'd be surprised about the breakdown between male and female. And again, it comes down to, I guess, your objectives in that, in that campaign. But primarily, I think you've got to understand what your what your reason for being on each platform is. Yes. So, you know, you mentioned before about showing the young researcher who's just started his career and he's, he's talking to other people his age. That's, that's knowing why you're on social yes, media. and using it on the right platform. Exactly. So maybe they're doing that on TikTok yeah. <laughs> rather than on boring old Facebook. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other thing, of course, is, is this thing of letting go. I'm finding that tricky. That's literally happened in the last 12 months. Do you actually do just let go and let the social media platform do the targeting for you now? Yeah. You just put it up there and say, well, if people are looking for white pants, they're going to see adverts for white pants. So <laughs> let's exactly just let, right. them, let them see the stuff. You've got to tailor the stuff for the different things. I, I actually think, though, I think social media in some respects has made marketers a bit lazy. It's a I, bit of a contentious thing to say. No, bring it. But, I agree. It has. Because I think we've just thought, oh, you just put on Facebook, job done. Yeah. 
And it's, but it's made my job really hard. And I have had this conversation with a lot of people too. You know, we talk about, you said before about a backup plan, just chuck it on sale and see what happens. Mm. That's what people do with social media. Oh, we haven't sold tickets for the event, chuck it on Facebook. Mm. What? Yeah. And if you're not careful, it starts to look desperate. You start seeing this other go, oh, well, they haven't sold many tickets, have they? Perception. <laughs> exactly right. right. And this is why strategy is so, so, so important. I've always had this philosophy from my days with World's Greatest Shave that you should be getting your message out in at least three different ways. Because I think while they won't all be direct links to sales, you need that noise and that backup. Yeah. So I've always been a bit of a believer in, you know, you do some stuff on social media, you do some direct contact with people, but you have it on the radio, you have it on outdoor, you have it in other places, you know. To support it. Because if you've heard it on the radio and in the car and then you're sitting at the traffic lights and it's on a billboard or a bus stop over there and then you get an email or you see a Facebook post about it, it's kind of tick, 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 tick. Exactly right. One one hit doesn't do it. You've got to have several hits is, is my view. I completely agree. And I think when you talk about social media making marketers lazy, that's what's happened. They just go chuck it on Facebook. Mm. They don't think about the customer experience and the customer's life. You know, I think that's where I'm, I think I'm a little bit controversial as a social media marketer because I will go to my clients, hey, I reckon we should do some direct mail. Yeah. Or hey, I reckon we should do flyer drop or some community engagement or some things that aren't digital. And they go, aren't you a digital Mm. marketing agency? Yeah, but nothing works in isolation. That's right. I agree. You've got to have it everywhere. In my industry, the trick with that, though, is making sure you don't be seen to be wasting your money because everyone starts saying, what's this costing you? I once had a phone call from a lady who rang up to complain. I'm seeing your adverts on Channel 10 all the time. Why are you spending all this money? Oh, my God. I'm seeing it on Channel 10 all the time. I'm sick of seeing it. How dare you? And I said, oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited. I'm thrilled. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, it proves it's working. And Channel 10 have been a fabulous sponsor of us. They give us 10 times what we pay for. So they're obviously doing a great job by us. So thank you so much for letting me know that you're sick of seeing it. That's brilliant. I love it. And she hadn't got a thing to say. <laughs> you, you, the, the Karens would be relentless oh. in fundraising. Oh, yeah. Terrible. Have, Terrible. You, had, have you had some oh, other people stinkers? People ring up and complain all the time. All the time. And it's always the people who've never donated to you in their lives. The ones who ring up and say, I will never donate to your organisation ever again. And you look them up and they never have. They never have. So why are they wasting their time ringing? They just just want some attention. When I was doing that, it's interesting. Uh, When I was doing national stuff, the worst complainers were always from New South Wales. I just think they have a very hard life in Sydney, I think. Because they always want to complain. They were the worst whingers. I think the thing with people hating on social media, actually going to the effort to pick up the phone and complain about something, what's happened to you that you're that sad that you feel the need to do that? I don't take many of them very seriously. It's just first world problems. I don't, I mean, I don't we, go there. <laughs> we manage um, a shopping centre and there happens to be two coals in the same shopping centre. And look, I don't think that's an issue. And for whatever, it, it's a complex situation, the reason for it. I know you're making a face. <laughs> it's it's a bit weird. odd. Um, but is it really a problem? And the amount of messages we get, why, like, you should change it to a Woolworths or, you know, why why are you taking two tenancies for two coals? Does it really bother you th- that much? Like, do you does it affect yeah. your life that much? Exactly. Well, I think people have got, people now do feel that they can complain and be and be heard. So I, I don't really buy into that. Sorry, I just don't go there. I think it has made... Everyone's out, an expert. That's you know, the problem. And, and it's like I say, with, with fundraising, with marketing, if you put an event on, you know, it's like, and they always assume you're an idiot and you haven't thought of these things. You know, it's people... We, we did our first big sponsored walk 
last last year, right? Yeah. And you ask, you do a survey and ask for people's feedback. And they come up with stuff and they say, oh, why did we have to cross the road there? Why couldn't we have just stayed on this side of the road? You know, we had to cross the road twice. How dare you, you make go, someone cross the road? Well, but the point was we made them cross the road because the footpath was too dark and too narrow on that side. So you know what? We'd actually thought about that, but everyone just assumes you're an idiot. Yeah. But I'm not an idiot, so I just let it wash over me. I let it wash over me. I don't. If you get wound up about every complaint that you ever get, you're just going to get yourself very stressed and they will never be happy. No. So don't waste your time. That's wise words. I love that. I think thick skin in marketing. Oh, the thickest. Uh, particularly in fundraising where, you know, it is personal. In any industry where someone's giving money or there's any money involved, it's one step further. You just say, thank you, sorry, thank you, sorry, thank yeah. you, sorry. And then you just say to yourself, I have a rule that says, will this matter in five years' time? I love that. And if the answer is yes, then worry about it and fix yeah. it. If the answer is no, move on. Yeah. Another day, just move on with it. Yeah. It's hard because it is subjective, right? And people want to have opinions for the sake of having opinions. Um, and you simply cannot please everybody. Yeah. That's physically not possible. No. If you're pleasing most of the people most of the time, you're doing a pretty bloody good job. Yep. I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, again, social media has made it so easy for people to have an opinion on certain things. You know, if you get one bad comment on one post, cool. But the other 900 people that liked it or shared it, they don't have a problem with it. So... Years ago, when I was a young man, people used to always say, you know, stuff that got in the newspaper and they would always say, well, that's tomorrow's, that's wrapping up the chips tomorrow. You know, because yep. back in England, they used to wrap up the chips in newspaper. They did right? it here too. Did it here too. Okay. Now so, I'm showing my age. <laughs> yeah. But you, know, you used to say, it's tomorrow's chip paper. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And social media is even quicker. Yeah. Like a Comments and posts, they're gone in an hour. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And there'll be something else tomorrow. I, I think the problem is that you can tell when it's a slow news day these days, particularly, um, I'm sorry, but the advertiser online is foul. Some of the things they post and it's turning into social media content rather than actual news. But we're all getting a bit more savvy about clickbait now, aren't we? I think so. Can't we smell it out now? I think so. But I think there's, call it gossip, I, I don't know, but you see something and you're like, well, I kind of want to. See what it is? Do you really? Yeah, sometimes. It depends what it is. I mean, I, don't, I personally don't scroll that yeah, much. We um, have to vote with our feet. Vote, vote with our fingers, I think. Yeah. I think generally, though, what you said earlier is right. The biggest challenge for anybody trying to market or promote anything now is how you cut through all of this stuff that's going on absolutely everywhere. It used to be so much easier, whereas now, like, I mean, the good thing is, from a democratic point of view, it's, it's good because you are far more in control of what you want to consume than yeah. you used to be, yeah. which is a positive thing. But it means that for us, trying to get the message to somebody, it's so much harder. Because if you don't want to, like, you don't want to hear from me, yeah. you've got the power to kind of not. Yeah. Know? So a lot of fundraisers are doing things like face-to-face -face recruitment of stuff. You know, these people who are getting you to buy uh, lottery tickets, you know, and they're outside the supermarket and signing you up for a monthly plan to to buy lottery tickets. Or, or they're there in the T-shirt saying, hey, do you want to hear about my charity? And I'm really bad at saying no to them. They come to the office. But but face-to-face -face is now, I reckon it's coming back because, because, you know, I'm there looking you in the eye and it's harder to say no to me if I'm 100%. standing right there in my yellow T-shirt with my sad look on my face going, please. Or if you have a puppy, don't come to my office with a puppy because I right. will give you my money. That's right. I think it's a bit like vinyl and cassettes coming back. I agree. <laughs> I actually think, film. I think we're all going to go back to being a bit more analogue and face-to-face -face and organic. I think people want things to be real now. Yeah. There's so much stuff that is not real. I actually don't know where this is going. One of the things that has recently frightened me 
is all of these videos they can make now where they can make a person say something and you can't actually tell that it's all fake. Scary, isn't it? I saw that Tom Cruise one not so long ago and it's just like it's him. Yep. So where is all that going to go? I think the only way it's going to go eventually is that we have to come back to being human and and real and face-to-face and going to meetings and shaking hands with people and 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 getting back to being real people again. This, I completely this online agree. world is going out of control. It's still, it, I think it will still have a place, but I think you need to be a lot smarter with how you manage yes. it and not neglect the traditional real life in person. What I'm concerned about is what does that mean for the next generation? Because they're mm. not equipped for this. They're not equipped to sit down face to face with someone and have a conversation or, you know, if, if they have to sell something, because let's, you know, well, factor in that is part of most jobs. Well, maybe they'll have to be the skills that you have to get good at. Yeah. Because I've I've had to learn. I didn't know the first thing about creating forms on websites where you could track, you know, I mean, we How got really quite... Completion rates. Yeah, all yeah. of that stuff. That was I all new that in stuff. my time. But, you know, you could actually see that when people were filling in a form, they got to the fourth question and then they were all leaving the website. Yeah. And, right, we need to fix the fourth question. Nobody knew about doing that stuff 20 years ago. I've, I've had to learn that on the go. But I think one of the big things that I would say to a young person now is for heaven's sake, don't forget that talking to a person on the phone or face-to-face is infinitely better than sending someone a text or sending them oh, an I email. I've more. had so many young, young women come into fundraising and when you ask them to talk to someone about something, they just want to send an email. No, pick up the, the phone. phone. Go and have a meeting, go and meet them. That's how you're going to keep your person-to-person skills going so that you can do that in future. Because actually, I think that is where the future lies. Yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. And yet it's so easy, isn't it? We all do it. Oh, I'll just send an email. Because then I don't want to interrupt them. And I don't know if they're busy. Ring you know, them. If they don't answer, they don't answer. Leave I've a message. <laughs> loads of friends who, if you ring them, they won't answer. But you send them a text and they'll text you back. Like, what's going on? Talk yeah. to me. No, but the problem is now, <laughs> the phone's ringing and they look at it and go, oh. I'm not going to take that call. I mean, I'm guilty of Googling numbers. Particularly on my, so I've got two phones. I've got my personal number and I've got the business number. Right. Um, if not many people have my personal number, so if you have it, you're very special. Um, but if someone, if I see a number ringing me, I'll Google it because I'm like, who? No one has this number. This is like top secret. Oh yeah. Well, if I get a no caller ID come up on the phone, I don't answer that. Yeah. Of course nah. I don't. Half the time it's a bot. But my point is, I think we've all got to get better at making phone calls and talking to real people, and and probably answering the phone. Yeah, agree. I have to say, I think we've all got to get better at just being being human because it's the only way to work out whether somebody's real or not. You know, you can tell. It's like when you go on those chat things on the websites, you know, yeah. you can tell whether it's a bot or whether it's a real person. Yeah. Type it away. Yeah, because most of the time it's just those automated responses. It's like, I didn't yeah. even say that. That's or like, you asked ask for your, yeah. like, your invoice number and mm. you write it and then ask you like another question completely irrelevant. It's like, you're not listening to me. <laughs> you see, the, the interesting thing that happened in fundraising in the last couple of years with the, the thing we will not name is that lots of people who used to do events that were physical events that happened, fundraising events, they went virtual and went online, right? But to keep going. Fair enough, we weren't all allowed to. to mix and do stuff. But I think what it did was it made people realise the extra element of the real event was the experience, the camaraderie, the shared moments. Which you can't replicate online. You cannot replicate them. I mean, I we, we did an event at Leukemia Foundation called Light the Night. The most important part of that whole walk before we walked was we did this ceremony before we walked where we all we all had these different coloured lanterns based on whether you'd lost someone to cancer, you'd got cancer or whether you oh, were just supporting, beautiful. right? And you'd have, lift these lanterns up. That moment when everyone's lifting up those lanterns 
I mean, I used to cry every time. I got goosebumps thinking I about it. I always used to think I would cry at the, at the people who'd lost people, but it wasn't. It was the ones where they said, we're here to support you. That's when I lost it every time. But that, you know, 3,000 people in Victoria Square, all lifting up a lantern in silence. Oh, It's eerie. It's, it's special. It's fantastic. Now, I'm sorry, there's no technology yet that can replicate that. No. And I think that was probably one event, I don't know, I don't work there anymore, but I imagine that's one event that when it went virtual would just not be the same event at all. And certainly when we started with our sponsored walk for Samri, there was this great sense. Everyone came to Elder Park and were all there and listening to someone on stage talking about their personal journey and listening to a researcher saying, I want to cure this for this person. There's a there's a thing that it's you're all vibe. standing there. And then you're all walking 20K together. Yeah, it's pretty you know, cool. In the dark and that sense of achievement and doing stuff together. That, you know, let's all be together. Yeah. Going to a concert, say, is still meant to be an amazing experience because you're all there and you're all watching these amazing artists that you're a fan of. It's driving me nuts that you keep seeing these people just filming it on their phone. People, be in the moment. Be in the moment. You've paid all this money to see the guy live. Stop looking at it through your phone. But I, I think we must cherish this this community stuff where we do things as humans together. Yeah. Because there's a thing. Connection. There's a thing. Yeah. And technology is never going to be able to do that. No, it'll never replicate it. It's funny because it's just like it's a fine line between like, I'm definitely guilty of filming things, and I mean. But the reason I do that is because I want to have the memory. I still know how to be present and mindful and be in the moment, but I'm also aware that I want to film it. Not I want to get something. But not everything takes a good photo. No, 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 like definitely. You go to, the Sydney, go to Sydney New Year's Eve and the fireworks. I'm sorry, but fireworks are big and fabulous. Oh, no, photos they, and videos don't do it justice. Watch it on your phone? That's not fireworks. No, fireworks no, no. It's like, wow. It's the, it's the sound, it's the smell, it's the... You're never going to replicate it no. on your phone. No. So don't. Remember it. You've got a memory. You've got a brain. I do. My memory's things. getting bad in my, in, my, uh, in my old age, I must say. My memory is not quite what it used to be. <laughs> we do need to, uh, to wrap this up, but I really want to just get your opinion on and sort of the things that you look for when you're building your team. You know, I, I think a common thread amongst previous guests has been that we can teach skills, we can teach marketing theory, those types of things, but you can't teach personality and you can't teach people skills. It's tough to recruit people to work in fundraising at the minute because, as I said, people don't naturally choose it as a career. (laughs) Don't go to the school's career person and say, I want to be a fundraiser. So you tend to sort of slip into it from various different directions. But I think the common themes are that you've got to be good with people and you've got to be prepared to talk to people who may not be the same as you. So I always admire younger people who are perfectly cool and okay with having a chat with a grandma. Yeah, I agree. Like, if you're a young person, you're sitting there, uh, even at a family do, and you don't even want to talk to the boring old uncles or grandmas, you know, that's that's not building your life skills. You know, if you always want people who can talk to anybody. You In fundraising, you will always have to talk to people who are posher or wealthier or older or different to you. And you've life. got to be able to change how you talk to people based on, on them and adapt yourself, yeah. but but also be genuine about it and be interested in people. And if you're not interested in people, you're never going to work in sales or marketing or fundraising, I'm afraid. So I think it's people, people is what you always want to look for. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree. What a beautiful message to close on. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much for your time. Your insights are unrivaled. So thank you again. 
as always, you can join our Facebook group, DigiTalks, if you have any questions for myself or for Dave, if you want to work in fundraising. <laughs> and get around us on Instagram and Facebook as well. And we will see you next time. Bye.